You know why I'm so passionate about Music to Code By? Because it works. I'm still getting a steady stream of success stories from developers just like you who sail effortlessly through hours of coding. There's only one problem. They can't get enough. Well, not only are we up to track 13, but you can download them all in one shot for a new low price. The collection was 54 bucks just a little while ago, still only a little more than four bucks a track, but now you can get all 13 for only 39 bucks. That's only three bucks a track. Yeah, that's more like it. 325 minutes of pure bliss. Go get it now at collection.musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1336, with guest David Neal. Recorded Friday, July 15th, 2016. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And here we are again. David Neal is going to be here in just a few minutes. I've uh, had a full day in the studio. We've done two nice. shows today, and uh, this is the third of four. We yep. kind of batch them up, you know, Richard and I. Well, it's necessary, too. We do. A fr- I don't like going to a conference, even though we're going to record shows at that conference. Mm-hmm. We don't have, already have the shows that week in the can. Because mm-hmm. sometimes stuff goes wrong, right? Yeah, like we've had, we've lost shows. We're not immune, so it's. it's yeah. uh I like consistency. I want us to put out our shows no matter what, and uh, so we can, we get a few weeks ahead, and this is one of those times. You do a block of three or four shows in a day. I think four is kind of limit. Yeah, but the fourth one's usually pretty punchy. Yeah, you get a little silly, but yeah, that's, that's what happens. Okay. It's uh, there are worse problems in this world, right? But that is not this show. <laughs> That is not this show. I've uh, <laughs> been messing around even more with Hololens, so that oh is. My. I have a related uh, tool. Do you? Or better know framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? Well, those who don't have a HoloLens probably don't know about this, but for everyone else, I just want to tell you what to expect. The HoloLens has a built in web server, a web host called the HoloLens Device Portal. And you can check it out at 1336.pwop.me. And the HoloLens device portal lets you do a lot of cool things. Probably the first thing everybody does is get the 3D view or the mixed reality view. Right. And the mixed reality view shows what you have seen in those videos that they take uh, at Build, you know, where you see the entire field of view. You see reality and you see the holograms and stuff. And you don't have any restriction on the field of view. It's uh, It's full. Right. But you do get a little bit of a delay. However, it's really, really good for doing demos. Yeah, well, because you can't put a HoloLens on everybody because there's just not that many of them. Right, there's just not that many. It also leads me to believe that the sort of field of view restriction might have more to do with physics than it has to do with, you know, the speed of the processor and all that kind of stuff. Because they're clearly rendering, um, you know, in this in this mixed reality view video, they're clearly rendering it okay. Yeah. But um, there's another cool feature, which is the 3D view. And this is, re- it's like a, 
a window into seeing how HoloLens is interpreting the surroundings. It hmm. does, you know how it does tracking. It, it looks at everything and maps the space. It does this mesh. And you can show the stabilization plane. You can show the mesh. You can show anchors. Uh, and, and, and it can completely recreate the surface. It's just a fantastic and fascinating tool to see how what's going on inside the HoloLens as you're using it. That's really cool, man. Yeah. I mean, and most people don't have a HoloLens because it's just not that many of them, and they are expensive. But yep. uh, it's interesting to see that the tooling's evolving, that we're, we're helping people build more stuff for it. I'm just hoping that there's a new version of the hardware out soon. Like, it seems yeah. makes the, the, the stuff that, that we got – that, that they shipped, these were all basically the same as the build 2015 units. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've had a full Moore's Law cycle. It's been 18 months. I would hope there's new hardware. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they really have to get out all of the ones that they've promised so far before they yep. probably will have that. But anyway, another thing about the mixed reality page is that not only can you view it in real time, but you can capture it. So this is a great way to make uh, videos that have all of the holograms and the and the photo video camera and the microphone and audio from your apps and uh you can even set the quality you know of the mm-hmm. live preview and you can record these videos and then share them on you know YouTube or wherever you want to share them and it's really 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 compelling that's cool so that's what i got man no i learned awesome. love it who's talking to us richard grabbed a comment off of show 1215 the one we did with sean mcbreen where we talked about visual studio code which right. for the most part i mean all i've ever heard is good things about visual studio code folks have been very happy about it and yeah. uh and and john MacArthur is no exception this is from a few months ago but uh, just to make some more happy noises he said okay just install it and wow it's superb hmm I live in Visual Studio, but I always have a second editor, currently Sublime Text, installed for quick editing, which is exactly what I use Studio for. I don't want to open the project. I just want to open a file. Yeah. Uh, It recognizes and color codes C-sharp, JavaScript, HTML, XML, web config files. It handles snippets. It's my new favorite tool. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. been so long since we've had a lightweight editor, which is silly because there's always been lightweight editors. We just haven't been paying attention to what's been out there. Yep. So it's yeah, fabulous to see. It's really interesting what it's doing. And of course, we're going to talk more about editors today. So John, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We get to see them in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's introduce David Neal. David is a husband, father of five boys, a geek, a musician, a motorcyclist, a speaker, software developer, and Microsoft MVP living in North Georgia. He spent several years building high-performance, scalable social media applications and currently works at LeanKit as a developer advocate. David runs on a high-octane mixture of caffeine and bacon. Nice. My kind of developer. Welcome, David. (laughs) Thank you. I am very excited to be on this show. We have hung out at various MVP summits and hotels and playing guitar and singing. You've got quite a great voice and... uh, I really enjoyed the the time that we spent hanging out. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's certainly some really great memories. Yeah. 
Yeah, the MVP summit is really a ton of fun. And it's not the sessions, right? It's the it's the bar time. <laughs> it's the hanging it's out. <laughs> let's call it the white spaces. Yeah. True. Yeah. True that. So let's talk Electron, David. Yeah. So Electron is a pretty exciting technology that uh, I've been playing with. And speaking of Visual Studio Code. Um, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So my background is. Well, wait a minute. Been in what dot- about Visual Studio Code? Yeah, Visual Studio Code is built using Electron. Ah, mm-hmm. look at that. Yeah. So, I guess just a, a brief introduction to what Electron is. It is essentially Node.js and Chrome uh, as a desktop framework. You, you can build applications that are, can run on Windows, Mac, and Linux from a single code base. And you're, it's kind of like the phone gap or Cordova equivalent of building a desktop app. Right. You're essentially building a web application, but it's running, uh, on someone's desktop and they would never know the difference. They yeah. would never know that it's essentially a web app. So, uh, being a .NET developer for, you know, a long, long time, I was at the PDC in 2000 when .NET and C Sharp was announced to the, to the public. Uh, and being the nerd that I am, I went back to the hotel that night with the little presenting C sharp book that they gave everyone. Right. And I read the, I read the entire thing and <laughs> <laughs> you missed a party then. Uh, probably did, but you know, that's, that's just me. But, uh, I, I knew from that point forward that C sharp was, was what I wanted to work with and, uh, have been, uh, you know, dot net's been paying the bills for a long time. Right. Um, but when it came time for me to create a uh, a tool that some of my customers needed, and some of those customers being that they ran on a Mac, right. um, I had a really tough time trying to figure out how to get .NET to, to be a, a viable solution. Hmm. Uh, my the, the, the mobile team at my company was having really great success building mobile apps with Xamarin. And I was aware that Xamarin had a Xamarin Mac desktop sure. environment. And I thought, well, that's what I'll do. I'll just use my .NET skills to create a, an application and be able to, you know, have it run on both Windows and Mac. And the experience went really bad. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sad trombone. So you you can with .NET, you can you know portable class libraries and all that stuff. You can have a uh, a good core of your application that's portable from one to the other. But then the UI is still a really hard problem to solve. Right. It's still specific to the platform. That's exactly right. And me being a essentially a web developer, I've been doing you know, .NET for a long time, but it's always been like ASP.NET. So I, I live in the HTML and CSS and JavaScript world uh, on the front end, and I don't know how to build front ends for desktop. I don't know WPF or WinForms, and I know even less about building uh, Xcode UI on the Mac. Right. And so uh, I was I was just really, really frustrated with the whole experience and, you know, with having to build UIs on, on both platforms. It was looking like a really hard problem to solve just to get some utilities into my my customers hands. So, yeah, I heard about this thing called Electron uh, that was uh, used to, to help build the Atom editor from GitHub. 
and I knew that there were some other tools that had been built on top of it. Uh, the the one that really caught my attention was Slack. Yeah. If you've if yep. you've used the desktop Slack client for Windows, uh, then you're using an Electron app. Yep. And uh, so seeing Slack, uh, which blew my mind, is like, man, that's a really nice, nicely done application, and it's essentially a web app. I can do HTML and CSS mm-hmm. and JavaScript. So I gave Electron a spin, and I've been loving it ever since. Did I've you just say about- I gave Electron a spin? <laughs> <laughs> That is so funny. Uh oh, quantum mechanics jokes. <laughs> Was that an upspin or a downspin? <laughs> oh, so is it when I think of using, you know, HTML, JavaScript, CSS to build cross platform apps, I think Cordova. Is that what right. is under the hood here? No, it's not. It's uh, Node.js and uh, Chrome. Is uh is what's driving your applications, but it's it's kind of a similar you know metaphor though. I mean, you can you can make some parallels between those two two things, but essentially, um, an Electron app begins its life as a Node.js process, um, and you can launch different instances of of Windows from there, and they're called renderers, and and you mean Windows with a small W, not capital W. That's that's right. Yeah. So the Windows of, of your desktop um, application. So in Electron vocabulary, they call them renderers at, or um, instances of a browser window. Because mm-hmm. normally when you think about Node, you think services. You don't think UI. Right. Yeah. Node is traditionally just a server-side process that's right. listening for HTTP or whatever uh, communications and, and responding to those, um, and serving up, you know, resources and content. Right. Whereas in this case, it's, it's the, uh, it's like the host of your application and it, it creates the instances of these browsers that look and behave just like a, uh, a desktop window. And there's also a bunch of, native extensions built into Electron that extend both Node and Chrome that give you native capabilities such as menus, file, open and save dialogues, uh, printer dialogue, uh, tray notifications, a lot of things that are, you know, you would expect from a desktop app that aren't built into Node and Chrome but uh, give you a great user experience. Yeah. So you're, whoever's using your application would never know that they're essentially using a web app. Well, because all, I mean, both Mac and Windows have SysTray type notifications and pop-ups and right. things like that. So, but they're, I got to think they're executed completely differently. Yeah. So GitHub has done all the hard work of, you know, encapsulating the, native code for each of the platforms. And so you've got a unified API that you can call to do those kinds of things. It makes it really easy as a developer to, you know, code. Essentially you're writing one code base and it behaves appropriately on each platform that the application runs on. And what platforms does it run on? Windows, uh, Mac and Linux. So it's specifically for desktop. 
Yes. So it does kind of sound like they do the same kind of magic that, um, you know, that Cordova does, whereas, you know, sort of using it, the, the browser as an embedded, uh, shim into a native app. But because Cordova supports all of these other things and they're only supporting Chrome, it's probably got a lot more power, huh? Yeah. Since you have, essentially, you have the full power of Node.js. Uh, at your fingertips, mm. it, you know, as part of your application, they've done some really cool things with um, the the parts of Chrome that they're using are just the rendering piece. So it's not the full blown Chrome. It's it's basically lib Chromium mm-hmm. that they're using to render. But uh, since they are using the V8 JavaScript engine uh, that's shared between instances of Chrome and Node.js as a back end you're able to take advantage of the full power of Node.js inside your HTML. Wow. You don't have to go through any um, strange hoops to try to access, like, the file system or to get to any local resources. Mm. Uh, you can do that directly from your HTML or from JavaScript files that are you know referenced in your HTML. Now, we've said Chrome a few times here. Do you have to run the browser? Is the browser involved in any way in this? Well, that's the cool thing about it as well is when you build an Electron application, you're targeting the version of Node.js and Chrome that Electron was built with, Hmm. and it gets packaged together with your application, and you distribute that that, that one package as one piece. So the... The people who are using your app application, they don't have to have Chrome installed. They don't have to have Node.js installed. They don't have to have anything installed. They can just take your installer or your zip file or whatever you're giving them, and they can run your application right away. Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. So, like I said, same idea, but, you know, more, I, I would say, streamlined because, uh, you know, the it doesn't have to support a whole bunch of different APIs and they can do things more deliberately. Yeah. So another problem, hard problem with desktop apps that the GitHub has solved with Electron is the distribution of like updates to your application. So if you've used Visual Studio Code or Atom or some other Electron application, you've probably noticed uh, from time to time a little drop down window or message that says a new version of your application is available. Would you like to update now or restart to apply these, this update? Restart the application, not restart the, the yeah. whole uh, operating system. And that's kind of baked into the Electron framework. Uh, you have the ability to ping a, a server that's, that's telling the application what versions are available, and it can automatically download that, that new version. Uh, it'll You've got some internal notifications that you can respond to so that you can then communicate with the the desktop user. Hey, there's a new version available. And then it ha- handles the hard part of, of swapping out the uh, the old files with the new files and restarting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's great. And that's uh, obviously a big bone of contention that has been. Uh, even We've been talking about it since before this show about distribution of Windows apps and how painful it is. Yeah. Is the distribution different for OS, you know, uh, for the Mac OS than it is for Linux and it is for Windows, or is it all sort of done with one script? 
So you're, when you build your electron application, and there's, there's several options that are available, but if you go all the way to the route of creating an installer, then, uh, you can create a, a Windows installer that can be, you can create a 64 bit or a 32 bit installer for Windows. On the Mac, you're creating a DMG file, which is, you know, very, very common on Macs. Um, so that, that experience is basically you open up a DMG file and you drag the application icon into your applications folder, which is the way most Mac apps are distributed. And then on Linux, you build a Debian package that you can install. So the installation is different for each. Right. It's, it's to be, you know, it's a, an, an experience that people would expect for each platform. Sure. And that makes sense. Is there any kind of limit on the type of application that you can build? Is it sort of a, a text only thing or can you build an, any kind of app that would work in Chrome? And I'm thinking about, you know, graphical applications and that kinds of thing. Yeah. So basically anything you can create as a, as a website, as a web page, you can build as a desktop application. And so you have not only the full uh, access to any kind of front-end framework that you would use for web development. Uh, you could use Angular or React or Knockout or Backbone or just plain HTML and jQuery. Uh, you also have access to every single Node.js package that's available. And last time I checked, I think there was, I think there was over 250,000 packages available for Node.js. And Don't try and use so, them all. <laughs> yeah, try to use them all. See how big your uh, installer can get. How big can you make it? <laughs> I would think a spa library makes sense because you don't want your client to look like a web page. Right. And should we just use Slack as the reference? Because I think, I mean, all of us use Slack, and I suspect most of the listeners use Slack. Like, it's, it, you wouldn't know it was built with JavaScript. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Slack is a great example. Um, and there are a couple of CSS frameworks that, that are available. One is, um, well, I personally just use Twitter Bootstrap. Yeah. Um, and that makes for a great looking, you know, forms and, and so forth that I might have on my applications. It looks almost a little bit webby. Um, but, uh, it, it just looks like a really clean and crisp UI. Yeah. There's another one. Uh, one of the designers at GitHub has created a, a CSS framework called Photon Kit. And it's right now it's targeted specifically at the Mac OS. So when you use it, it looks like a really nice looking Mac application. So if you mm -hmm. build a, build it on the Mac and then install it on Windows, it looks like a really beautiful Mac app running on Windows. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. I think long term they're, the the goal is to add in elements for Windows and Linux desktop environment, so it looks you know native to to the other operating systems. Um, but right now, it creates a great interface. Mm -hmm. Do you do anything with? And you can do this on JavaScript too, for that matter. Do you do anything with uh, different kinds of window borders? You know, I mean, using something more graphical rather than just the standard container for. A browser window? 
Yeah, so I haven't done that personally, but I know there are some other applications, electron applications that have done some creative things around windows. You can uh, turn the frame off. You can make windows transparent. And so one example is a company hmm. uh, that creates a, a a video conferencing application called Speak. I think it's uh, speak.io. And you, this is one where you would just never guess this was a web application, essentially under the covers, uh, because they're doing some really creative things around dockable uh, sidebars, uh, floating windows that have like your contact lists. And when you're on a, a conference call with someone and you're sharing your screen, the window looks really uh, clean and and borderless and they're accomplishing that with Electron and the built-in WebRTC features that are in Chrome. Yeah, you know, as I look at a bunch of apps we know are Electron, there's certain things you start to see that make you think, okay, maybe that's an Electron app. Maybe I can pick up on this. And I think you've hinted at it, Carl, which essentially it tends towards borderless because, you know, you, right. you have to rem – most – Every other dev environment I've worked in, which uses controls, those controls tend to have borders. And here you are sort of working in a web world where you have to declare borders. It's sort of, you know, the borders aren't on by default. And so you see a lot less. It's just straight color transitions. There's not a black line around anything. I'm just looking at Speak, having never heard of it. And it's S-P-E-E-K dot com. And yeah, the UI's got that. It looks, you yep. know, what the UI looks like in Speak mm. Slack. Yeah, it's Slackish. Slackish. <laughs> Maybe there is an aesthetic here that I've just never noticed before. I think I, I think I blame you, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's another great example is Nihilus N1. Nihilus N1 is a desktop mail client that can handle lots of different email systems, and it borrow some ideas from like Atom and Visual Studio Code in that it has an extension system built in. So you can inst install, you can customize your your email through custom extensions, do things like GitHub integrations, um, add a Google translator to your email. You can change out themes so you can have a light or a dark theme or change the, the whole layout of the application. It nice. really allows you to customize your, your experience, which leads me, you know, to another thing that's awesome about Electron is since it is just CSS and HTML, you can offer that kind of features to your, whoever's using your application. You can yeah. give them the option of changing to a light or dark theme really easily just by swapping CSS. Or if you're targeting different markets, say you want to build an application and you're targeting one vertical market and another, uh, it, just by swapping out CSS and a few images, you can have a totally differently branded application. That's really awesome. Just to, well, yeah, again, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's sort of a cue to we're in a web app that the, the CSS effect it makes you wonder why we haven't done more stuff like this to, uh, to build apps this way, but. Yeah, it's it's yep. very interesting, and it's great styling. You know, the fact and the fact that it simply runs well on all the platforms is interesting. Can you get to a place where the UI changes platform to platform, or is it normally you've given an aesthetic and it sort of sticks to it? Uh, certainly, you can. There are some 
uh, things you can look for at runtime uh, to know what operating what the current operating system is. And I've done a few tweaks like that in the past uh, where I may go ahead and um, as I'm creating a maybe a template for my HTML and the, I've got the body tag, I might set a a style class on the body tag that right. that's a for the operating system that I'm running on. And then I might style just a few things a little bit differently depending on that operating system. Yeah. The problem is that every time I look at my Slack client to, you know, sort of look at the styling things, I get messages. So it's distracting me. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the consensus has been, uh, there's been a few electron meetups in San Francisco that, that have been recorded that I've watched and a few other presentations on electron. I think the consensus is just build a really nice looking UI and use it across all three operating systems and people are going to love it. Yeah, I think you're right. And and clearly Slack does that. I think except for the menu, the menu is clearly on a Windows machine, a Windows menu. I don't have a Mac here to look at it. I bet the menu is different. Yes, that that is something that, that you would definitely tailor to each operating system. And that's something that's done um, outside of the the browser UI, that's part of the bootstrap JavaScript file that uh, is launched when an Electron application launches. It, right. You can set up your windows. You can set up the, you know, load in your configuration. It's all the hmm. stuff that goes into the application lifecycle of your, your app. And one of those things is building the menus, building the, the system tray notifications and those things that are specific to the operating system. Awesome. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? It must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to expose my local northern Indian restaurant, the chef being a JavaScript programmer, of false advertising. Why do you say that? Because in JavaScript, everyone knows non does not equal non. (laughs) Are you making bread jokes? Indian bread jokes? Is that where we are? That's all I could come up with, man. Give me a break. They'll pay me enough to do this job. We could do the the Gary Bernstein na 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 what man? <laughs> oh my! I watch goodness. that about once a month. Yep, just makes That's, you feel better. It's yeah. actually time to give a private party pass at Dev Intersection Vegas 2016 to one. That's right, to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Ooh. So, what do Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, John Papa, Jeffrey Snover, Scott Hunter, and boatloads of other great movers and shakers have in common? They'll all be speaking at Dev Intersection, happening October 25th through the 28th at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. You can also take a two-day workshop with Brock Allen called Identity and Access Control for Modern Web Applications in API using .NET Core. Sign up now and save money at devintersection.com. Don't miss it. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Dave Aykroyd. Congratulations, Dave. Golf clap for you, sir. And maybe a cocktail. Maybe a cocktail. What Dave just won is access to a private event. Now, we don't know what the event is. Could be a party, could be dinner, could be drinks with Richard and myself at Dev Intersection this fall. And, uh, of course, he has to be going to the conference, but uh, we'll find out. 
Yeah. And if you don't know what we just did here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .net Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. All right, David, it's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today... What would you buy? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so one of the things I love to do is to draw. And I yeah. have an iPad and a pencil, uh, the new Apple Pencil, and it's fantastic. I, it, the pressure sensitivity and everything is, is great. Mm. Um, I, w- I would like to try the Surface Pro. I've, I've played with them before, but uh, I don't own one of those. So I, I think I would buy a Surface Pro. All right. Um, and so $5,000, let's see. That'll get you a nice configuration of a, of a, a Surface Pro. A couple of them. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I'm also a headphone junkie. Okay. Um, I, I buy too, way too many headphones and earbuds. So I, but I've never like splurged on some really expensive headphones. And I think I would like to do that. You could spend awesome. as much as you want on, Headphones. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's all sorts of companies that'll take your money. Yeah. You know, I'm swearing by the Bose noise-canceling earbuds, mm-hmm. which th- they run a several hundred dollars, and I've had the the, oh, the can style for years and years and years uh, to the point where they actually, I replaced the ear pads because they'd worn out. But the for a guy who travels as much as I do... Uh, Having the ear having the earbuds in means you can actually sleep with them comfortably. Mm. Yeah, that's right. It makes a big difference for uh, for travel. I don't know if you travel as much as I do, Dave. But I don't think anybody travels as much as I do. I think I'm an, an I'm an idiot. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it makes a, it's really compelling to uh, to be able to to be able to stick them in and, and be comfortable. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't travel as much as you do, but I I do appreciate being able to use in ears. When I do, and yeah. I've got a couple of different pairs that that I like, and yeah, it's it's makes it much more comfortable to sleep in. Sure, and they naturally block out the sound just by having something blocking your ear, and then on top yeah. of that, to have the noise cancellation for the lower frequencies is really nice. I mean, I realize now it's reflex for me because they're so comfortable and they're the pack's so small, like it's in my pocket rather than in my bag. That as soon as I get on any flight, even just an hour or so, I pop those earbuds in, I turn the thing on. And I'm just in a better world than everyone else is on an airplane. David, you'll appreciate this. Uh, I have a 10-piece band, right? So it's kind of a that's a challenge in and of itself. But we have um, uh, a self-contained mixer that I run with an iPad on stage. And why by self-contained, I mean it's not a typical mixing board like you see most bands have a sound guy, right? It's a, it's a box that goes in a rack mount. It's got 32 inputs and it's got 16 outputs. And those outputs go to uh, headphone amplifiers that are also in the same rack. And then we plug uh, our headphone cables, our long 20-foot headphone cables into that. And everybody wears in-ear monitors. And so we don't have to have monitor speakers on the floor feeding back and you know, places that are small, it's just, they're very hard to control. And not only that, but everybody gets to control their mix with their iPhone or iPad. It's amazing stuff. The uh, That sounds awesome. Yeah, the board is called a, a Presonus 
RM32 AI. And uh, they also have smaller versions of it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's really amazing. Gadgetland. Gadgetland. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Such good gadgets. So what kinds of apps are you building with Electron? So I've been developing some applications for LinkIt customers. Uh, okay. Some of these are custom integrations and um, utilities, such as custom reports. Mm. I have also created a import-export tool for LinkIt that uh, we're going to be rolling out soon uh, that basically allows you to export data as a CSV or JSON format and manipulate that however you need to and re-import that back into the program. Mm, nice. I, as part of uh, uh, an Electron workshop that I've done and some other demos that I've created, I, I created what may be the most significant application of my career, and that is a animated GIF reaction tool. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what your development workflow is like, uh, but at our company, it's it's really, really important to be able to choose the, the perfect animated GIF that expresses how you feel about your, your coworker's pull request or <laughs> or to respond to someone on, tw- on uh, Slack. Yep. And, you know, when you, you've probably used Giphy on Slack, and it's horrendously bad. It's almost, it's almost comical how bad it is. Um, it's so bad. It's awesome. But yet it's not awesome. Yeah. It, so it's, I, 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 it's the ironic, uh, gif. That's what it is. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I created this, uh, this application called reactor, uh, because I'm using reaction gifts, API and, uh, react as the, as the UI for it. And it allows you to search the API and find the perfect animated gift that you want. Uh, you can, look at any preview any of them just by mousing over the uh the picture and then you can click to copy it to your clipboard and then paste it somewhere in your uh wherever you need to use it Hmm. nice yeah cool and you always need to use it yeah is there anything on your wish list for electron uh features or anything you wish they did just a little differently any complaints um, I guess the only complaint I would have so far is that it, it is a, a new technology, and so there's some some tooling and things that that are uh, still a little uh, difficult to work with. They've made some improvements to some debugging. They they've added a DevTron uh, plugin for the Chrome developer tools. Mm-hmm. So when you're running your application, you can bring up the Chrome Dev tools and inspect your application. Um, Visual, it turns out that Visual Studio Code is probably the best editor to use for building Electron apps just no because kidding. Visual Studio, yeah, no kidding, because Visual Studio Code has really nailed it on JavaScript debugging. Hmm. Hmm. That's really interesting. Uh, I still use Sublime Text for a lot of things. Uh, it's still my favorite tool f- because of the, the plugins that are available for it. But Visual Studio Code is very, very impressive. And I, I, I turn to it a lot of times to do my JavaScript debugging and, and end up staying in it for, for a long time. Wow. Awesome. Is there any mechanism to make uh, like responsive apps? Could I, could I make something that would work on a phone from here? Well, phones are a different animal, so you got different architecture. And right now, the the barrier for being able to go from desktop to some other platform is Node.js itself. Right. Uh, just 
you know, right now you with the V8 engine, you just can't compile for uh, other types of platforms. Right. That was re- that was primarily the reason why uh, Microsoft created a uh, a swap for the Chakra mm. engine in uh, Node.js so that they could run Node.js on ARM devices. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And, it, in, you know, nothing wrong with a good desktop build platform, too. You don't really want to be all things to all people. Right. It actually makes it a, a, a steady version. So what about debugging? Do you ever run into situations where it works great on a Windows machine, doesn't work on a Mac? It's it's really consistent. So Node.js and and Chrome themselves and V8 is a is a really stable. You know, it's been around for a while, and so you're you're going to find much of the same behaviors on any operating system. So mm-hmm. it's, they've done a really good job there. Um, I've not re- personally run into uh, any issues uh, that are OS specific, right? Um, other than maybe some keyboard shortcuts. So early on when I was creating some electron applications, I didn't really understand uh, how the keyboard shortcuts worked on Mac versus Windows. So oh, yeah. Windows, everything was working great. I, I could control C and control X and control V and all, that kind of thing. And those just didn't work at all on the Mac. Mm. And the, the turns out the reason is you got to have those shortcuts defined in menus before they will actually work inside your application. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I've got all sorts of problems running Windows on my Mac. Um, for one thing, the I found that the function key is inverted. Like, it's always down. So, if I want to press F5, I have to press uh, function F5. <laughs> I don't think you're trying hard enough. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> might have been all that. Might have been that bottle of wine I spilled on it the other night. No, no. no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a setting in your virtual machine. Yeah, I'm sure it is too. <laughs> Do you normally develop Electron apps on Windows and then just deploy them to Linux and Mac, or can you develop on the Mac as well? Uh, certainly develop on the Mac. And as, as a matter of fact, if uh, you want to create packages like installers you you have to have a mac right um you can you can take an electron application just the like the html and css javascript and whatever resources um assets that you have and take that with the compiled binaries that uh, are available and give that to someone and they can run it um and that's that's all you need to do but if you need to create a a custom version of your application where you have your own application icons. Uh, if you want to create an installer that someone can can just take and install it, then you'll need, uh, like my setup is I'm running a MacBook Pro with virtual machines of 64-bit Windows, 32-bit Windows, 64-bit, and 32-bit Linux right. or uh, Ubuntu. And so I develop my application on the Mac and then I go, I check that into source control, and I go to each of my VMs and check out the latest and and build. And then I do, you know, do some testing and stuff if I need to. But uh, essentially, I'm at that point ready to ship a new version of each of those platforms. And is the 32-bit, 64-bit thing important? It is. So when you're compiling a, an installer and compiling the application itself, 
when you're packaging it up, up into a single binary, it's got to, uh, it's got to have the, the appropriate architecture of Node and Chrome, uh, to use on that, that architecture of that operating system. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And yeah, so literally a 32 bit edition won't run on a 64 bit edition? I don't know the answer to that, but okay. I, as far as I know, I mean, I can tell you that a 64-bit won't run on a 32. Yeah, that's a fairly safe bet. <laughs> and in theory, window, at least in the Windows world, there's Windows on Windows, so 32-bit app should run. I can't imagine they break that rule. You just are stuck in the 4-gig memory block. Right. Stuck. Now, if you're building desktop apps that need more than 4 gigs of RAM, what are you doing? <laughs> that's a lot of memory. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Well, I do. Unless it's, you know, there's some apps that genuinely use a lot of memory, like, you know, ray tracing and things like that, where it's a ton of compute, a ton of memory. It all makes sense. I'm teasing. But uh, I'm, I'm with you. The, on the on the Linux side, it's even more interesting. I don't know. We You know, we haven't done a show on Linux desktop in a long time. Uh, there might be a reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to be too, not trying to be all that negative about it. But no, I'm no, no. I, I just thing i you know listen our listeners may not uh be interested in that and i don't know maybe they are maybe this is a, a good poll topic yeah yeah the only thing i know about linux is sudo yeah right i'd like to know more about linux desktop for sure well and we did that show with mark rendell a while back we were talking about developing .NET apps on a linux desktop machine right and it's just you know i think it takes a lot of twisting and thinking to to get there mm. you know linux does so well on the server side so, David, what's next for you? What's in your inbox? Well, uh, I'm leaving next week to go to NDC Sydney. Yeah. I'm going to be giving a – yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. It's be my first trip to Australia. Wow, good one. I'm going to be presenting a, a Node.js. So, I, I've been working with Node.js for the last couple of years, and that's one of the things I like to talk about is how to bridge the gap between .NET and Node.js. Um. Mm. Speaking at a at a number of other conferences, and uh, I'm trying to work on a a new talk about uh, the title uh, that uh, Jim Holmes helped me come up with is "Public Speaking Without Barfing on Your Shoes." Nice. Ah, that sounds like Jim Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm trying to take some things that I've learned over the last few years of public speaking, including the use of uh, hand drawn illustrations. And package that up into into something that maybe helps some other introverted geeks like myself uh, get uh, get up the courage to do some some talks. Right. Well, that's great. And uh, are we going to see you at Dev Intersection? I will not be at Dev Intersection. Oh well. Well, we'll see you somewhere. I'm sure. Uh, definitely yep. the MVP Summit. I'm sure about that. Yep. All right. Well, David, thanks so much. It's been great talking to you, and I'm excited about this. It's cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. You bet. And we'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, 
a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a